At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Beloved of God, grace to you and peace from God our Maker and from our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This little gospel story packs a punch. I feel like it should be accompanied by a suspense soundtrack, like dun dun dun. I don't know exactly what's going to happen when it ends, but it's probably going to be bad. In this section of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is teaching about repentance. And repentance is such a rich word. It's one of the classic themes of this Lenten season. And yet it's one of those religious words that is so fraught. We associate it with the doomsday guy standing on the city street corner with the sign or with certain types of televangelists. It's a word that is layered in judgment and condemnation, in guilt and shame. I expect to find it at the end of a long, bony finger pointing at me. Our gospel text, at first glance, doesn't do much to disabuse us of this image. Unless you repent, Jesus says, you will all perish. He sounds like he's ready for a downtown street corner. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. When we take a closer look, we see that Jesus, like any good teacher or prophet, was challenging the common beliefs and practices of his day those that were rooted in misunderstandings and faulty perceptions of God. With a large crowd following him, listening to him, Jesus posed provocative questions, theological questions, about their understanding of God. When you see bad, unjust, violent things happen to people, he asked them, do you assume it's because they are more sinful? than you are? Is this why these things happen? When people suffer at the hands of a tyrant like Pilate, or when they are the victims of an accident or disaster, do you think they did something to deserve it? Are they being punished for their sin? Jesus isn't making casual conversation here. These are loaded questions. 
And they tease out a way of thinking about God, a perception of God, that if you live a good, clean, righteous life, you will be spared suffering. The belief that if you are suffering, you must have done something sinful to deserve it. We're all familiar with this kind of theology. It's as old as humankind. Its tendrils are woven through the pages of Scripture and into our imagination about God. And it's a tidy theology, I'll give it that. It makes clear who is living the right way and who is not. And it preserves our sense that God is fair and in charge and that our lives are just and in our control. The problem with this theology is that it's not true. I guess, there you go. <clears throat> Bad things happen to good people. And people cannot be divided into categories of righteous and unrighteous, sinner and saint. Every person needs repentance. This is Jesus' point. It's the wisdom he shared with the crowd in this story. Every person needs repentance because without it, we perish. To underscore his point, Jesus told them a parable about a fig tree. Now this little story is all the more parabolic and provocative when we consider that the fig tree was a symbol for Israel's religious leaders, for those who were categorized as the wise ones, the holy ones. Jesus told a story about them. A man went looking for figs from his fig tree, but he didn't find any. So he ordered the gardener to cut it down. A fruit tree bearing no fruit, no reason to keep it around. But the gardener saw a possibility where the owner did not. And he was willing to provide what was needed. A little pruning here, some fertilizer there. The gardener had hope. Let it alone, he said, which interestingly is the word for forgive. Let it alone. Give it time. Everyone needs time for repentance. Time for new life to sprout. Time for fruit to grow. Even those we least suspect, Jesus told them. Because without repentance, we are fruitless. But with repentance, there is hope. There is the possibility of life, of growth, of fruitfulness. So what is this thing called repentance? We hear in this text that it is an urgent, universal need. But is it about condemnation and death? Or is it about life and growth and fruit? It's a worthy question of this Lenten season. The word repent has a rich history both in Hebrew and Greek. In Hebrew, it means to turn, to change direction. In Greek, which is Luke's language, it means a changed mind, a new way of seeing things. Matthew Skinner, who is a New Testament scholar and professor at Luther Seminary, is helpful in describing 
the fullness of this word repent. He writes, at its root, repentance is about thinking and perception. It refers to a wholesale change in how a person understands something. It implies a reconfiguration of your perspective, including a reorientation of yourself toward God. Repentance involves seeing things differently, coming to a new understanding of God and what God makes possible. A new understanding of God and what God makes possible. Have you thought of repentance this way? That it is the process through which God reorients us, redirects us, opens us to a clearer vision of God and to new possibilities? Have you ever thought of the call to repentance as a gift? Not an edict issued with a bony finger, but an invitation offered with wide open arms? This is the broader understanding of repentance in Scripture. It is God's response to the human condition. We all get stuck, tangled up in our thoughts and words and deeds. We reach dead ends where our habits of mind and behavior no longer lead us to life, where our image of God, our relationship with God, is not life-giving. We all get lost we feel disoriented and estranged from God, from others, from ourselves. We all have dry seasons where we are thirsty for something, for life, for meaning, for purpose. The psalmist expressed it in the words we heard this morning, my whole being longs for you like I am in a parched land with no water. We know these moments, don't we? They're part of being human. We can respond to them with denial, everything's fine, with despair, or with desperation, striving and grasping for anything that seems to quench our thirst. Or we can open the gift of repentance. We can turn to God with our empty hands and our thirsty souls and our dry branches. We can turn to God knowing that God's mercy and grace will wash over us once again. We can turn away from all the voices of judgment and criticism and condemnation and turn toward the one who calls to us. And what we find time and again is that in our longing, God is longing for us. We discover again that our God is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, longing to share life with us, abundant life, fruitful life, eternal life. And so God invites us to turn, to turn toward God's invitation, that invitation so beautifully expressed in our first reading. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Or labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. 
Listen so that you may live. This is a call to repentance. It doesn't fit on a sign. It isn't accompanied by an ominous soundtrack. It is the gracious invitation once again to turn to God, to see who God is for us in Jesus Christ, to receive his mercy, to be nourished by his grace. It is a call to trust that rooted and grounded in Christ, our lives will bear fruit. Thanks be to God for this gift and for this promise. Amen.